we thank HelloFresh for sponsoring the podcast. And now you can go to HelloFresh.com slash 50SOS and use code 50SOS for 50% off plus free shipping. Let's go to HelloFresh.com slash 50SOS and use code 50SOS for 50% off plus free shipping. Remember that HelloFresh is American number, number one, one meal, meal kit. kit. Welcome to another episode of SOS VHS. Today, we have a legend with us, and I'm so excited for this episode. He's a comedian, an artist, a musician, book writer, illustrator. He's Harlan Williams, and he drew me a toaster. You have to wait until the end of the show to know why. So, we're talking about his favorite movie, Blade Runner. Grab a bottle of popcorn and pay close attention, because if not, your memories will be lost like tears in the rain. Okay, so let me start. Before we start, we talk about the movie, I wanted to know when, where do you get your artistic flair from? I, you, you write, you do comedy, you act, you music, everything. One word, DeVry. Yeah? Yeah. Have you heard of it? No. Excuse me? Explain. Explain? Yeah. All right, well, DeVry is a a school that teaches uh, the arts. Yeah. Uh, it's very immersive. They have top-tier professors, teachers, instructors. Um, the range of curriculum you can create for yourself to learn, to expand, to grow, to really be who you want to be. I mean, I think you've heard that that saying from the military, be all that you can be. Yeah. Well, at DeVry, their slogan is do stuff and and what you want to do if you want to do stuffs. But they put an, an S on an extra S on, on the yeah. end if you want to do more than one thing in life. So do do stuffs if you want to do stuffs. Yeah, with yeah. that with that Logan, I don't know how I didn't. With that, that Logan? With that with that slogan. <laughs> I don't know how did that. I don't know. I, we're not here to talk about Logan's run. <laughs> but yeah, so that's basically where I got my foundation. Right. Uh, that's where I started to learn to grow as an artist. Uh, as soon as I stepped in the front doors of DeVry, it's almost like it started happening. Like, you know, you, 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 you sign up for something and you think, okay, when? When do the... When do the seeds start to germinate? When, yeah. when does the flower start to grow? When does the bloom start to open? And I mean, almost within the first five minutes of walking through the front doors of DeVry, I just felt like, you know, there's a rare cactus where the flower blooms at night. Have you ever seen this on the nature shows? Uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. You know about, what I'm talking So you can the, imagine. Yeah walking in the doors of DeVry Institute and just, even though there was no sun, even though the hallways were dark, I just opened up. Mm. I bloomed. It's almost like I, I was in Rod Stewart's green room and I spread my legs <laughs> yeah. and said, let's go. And this is sort of what DeVry does to you. And I'm not endorsing it. I'm not, I'm not a spokesperson. I have no skin in the game with DeVry, but I mean, I kind of went from this nobody, this nothing, this guy with nothing going on, 
like probably a few days away from becoming a shooter. <laughs> and uh, wow, when I got into DeVry, first that they accepted me in. They just don't take anyone at DeVry. Yeah, it's exclusive. Right. And the fact that they let me in, Mr. <laughs> Nobody. Mr. Nobody, and here I go. Just I'm, I'm just. It's like a kid with, you know, one night he goes to sleep and has a clean complexion. Yeah. And he wakes up in the morning and he's got so many zits. It looks like Agnes. somebody's yeah. been running around on his face with golf shoes, like an autistic guy. <laughs> you know, the autistic kids go in circles. Right. Just running in pockmarked. I do I'm think you should like be Brian a spokesperson. Adams. Pardon me? I think you should be a spokesperson. You think I should? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would be a spokesperson, but I don't have a bike anymore. <laughs> and uh, without the bike, I don't have a lot of spokes. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, all right, so you have this guy you... smells. Oh, sorry, it's my my rotting flesh. Yeah, flesh. What flesh? Uh, it, most of it's gone. If I was a hyena, I'd snap his femur in half and <laughs> suck the marrow out. But luckily for him, I'm not. Yeah, oh, I'd like that. Um, okay, so how how come is uh, Blade Runner, if not your favorite movie, like um, the movie that is has so significance for you? Blade Runner is just such a masterwork. I mean, it has its flaws. We can talk about the flaws later if you want, but yeah, it's such a masterwork. It's the way it's shot, the way it's designed, the art direction, the acting, the characters, the, you know, just there's so much going on in that movie. And it's one of the rare movies, and I don't know if you'll, have you even seen it? You don't look like you have. I've seen Blade Runner, yeah. I love Blade Runner. Well, when? Well, for instance, I saw it last night. Uh, just oh, preparing convenient. for this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've seen it enough times. I've seen all the versions of, of the movie. Which you what like do you mean? The... You watched it upside down, sideways? <laughs> no, the, the original cut, which is what you like. You like the one with the voiceover. Did you say the anal cut? Or you didn't, original. I have not seen that one. That one is exclusive for me. More like Ass Runner. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, the original cut. The original cut, okay. Yeah. Sort of like crispy and original. Original, the, original the one that you cut. like. Right, okay. Because there's the original cut and then Ridley Scott to the director's cut, right? Yeah, and then there's a final cut, which is... Wow. Yeah. How many cuts has this fucking oh, thing they, got? They had an international cut. They had Suddenly anything. it's a slasher movie. Right. It's got so many cuts. <laughs> yeah, it bleeds everywhere. But you like the, the original. You saw it in the theater? Yeah, I saw it in the theater when it came out. Now, it didn't blow me away when I saw it. I was a little disappointed because the story itself sort of, it sort of sits there a bit. But it's one of the few movies that I found so compelling and interesting because of the richness of it. It's one of the few movies I was alluding to before you said the anal thing. Uh, is it, it really, it's one of the few movies that draws you in. Mm -hmm. It creates an environment, the rain, the darkness, the mood. There's very few movies that draw you in and you feel like you're there in the setting. Yeah. And it's one of the movies in my mind that accomplishes that. And when you can draw the viewer in and have them sitting immersed in that environment, I think it really creates for a beautiful cinematic experience. Yeah, definitely. I and so you you weren't blow, blown away when you saw it. There's elements like like the, the visual. Yes, the, a lot of the elements of it blew me away. But as a story, as a, as a like, the, the, it, it just didn't like. I didn't walk out going wow, based on the story. I right. think this they had the they had the ingredients to make the story a lot more 
like dramatic and a lot more yeah exciting but there was a there was a certain flatness to it at the end which is i think why it didn't do quite as well as it should have but strip all that away it's it's an immersive beautiful cinematic experience and so that makes up for it but imagine if the story had yeah. been as up there as the rest of it it would have really probably been one, you know one of the big classic movies of all time kind of like your wife <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I like that. So she uh, have you seen the later version? Yeah. And did that make up the story? Was it that uh No, the or... story was even worse. <laughs> okay. I thought I thought that one. Like again, it was sort of cinematically cool, but right. it just it's like this this t sitting there for three hours to find out some guy's daughter's locked in an orphanage or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no. Like it was it was such a flat ending to me. Okay. Okay. You know, it's like you're doing all that work. You're making these creative sets. You're painting this beautiful world. Like, have an incredible, riveting story. You know. So you you were attracted to the 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 visuals. You to be honest, there's nothing like that, right? Like when when this movie came out, there was nothing. Maybe two thousand one or Star Wars. Yeah, but those are but, sort of a different genre. Those are sort of space movies. This created. Yeah. A sci-fi look and vibe on planet Earth. Yeah. And just created such a beautiful feel and texture, you know? And yeah. And the characters fit into it seamlessly. Like it was a it was a world that Ridley Scott painted that just it was it was really real and effective. Yeah, I, I always loved this movie. I watched it when I was a kid and I didn't quite understand the movie. Right. And maybe is because it has a lot of like density in terms of the it's a little intellectual of what they want to say about humanity and yeah. all that stuff so the story is not like a hollywood movie in, in that sense of like pacing is slow all of that but the world is such a th yeah. i've never seen anything like that and i was yeah. blown away it's blown away and, and and by the way all that story stuff is what keeps it interesting when you go back and watch, watch it again it. You you kind of it, it makes you think about what's what, who's real, was Deckard actually a robot. Right. You know, there's a there's a scene in the movie where you actually see his eye glow the way the replicant's eyes glow, and you go, wait a minute, why right. is his eye glowing? And then yeah. you start to so it it's it, it 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 has a little bit of mystery in it too. Yeah, and also I think it's so influential. You after Blade Runner, there's oh. a lot of people who have copied the, some of the style. Well, the, attempted to copy. That's the thing. After right. all these years, yeah, with all the technological advancements, CGI, no one is able to capture what he got with that. Yeah, like they've tried. They even the the, 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 the remake sequel, or the yeah. the sequel. It, it yeah, it was flashy and pretty, but. There's something about what he caught in that film in a bottle. I don't know if it was the lenses he used or the film stock or the... It just... No one's been able to replicate that. And that's I, I, what makes it so kind of pertinent today. I agree. I agree. I think he saw something in that material that nobody else did and then made it... His brother said in an interview that when he saw that movie, he saw a lot of Ridley Scott in it, like the environment he grew up in, like the rain, the the look of it that it was like huh. coming from his own, you know, very influenced experience. by yeah. his own life. So that maybe is what what why he got to create wow. something so cool. I don't know if this is part of the show, and I don't <laughs> even know if I should say this, but I, I just had looking you at a flash where 
I don't know what you're doing later, but I just want to go to P.F. Chang's with you, buy yeah. a lettuce wrap and grind it in your face. Okay. If you're free. That's fine. That's what Bobby does all the time when I go to P.F. Chang's with him. God, I just want to... You, you, do you like ground beef or ground chicken? I can do it both, both ways. But I just want Up to like, you. just can, grind it in your face and you know, hear your muffled screams. I think we can make it part of the show. I think people will really love that. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't mean to go off course. No, it's all, it's all good. Sometimes things just come to you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, this movie talks a lot about like, you know, artificial intelligence and now that we are there... Right. With all of that. What is your take in all of the AI stuff? Like, are you worried? Are you concerned? Is it a full uh, tool? I mean, you can't be worried. You can say you're worried, but you can't be worried because it's you can't stop it. Right. So that's like saying I'm worried about the air and the rain and the ocean. They're there. They're constantly moving. They're coming. And that's what AI is doing. And as, as our crazy race of whatever we are continues to grow and expand and be parasitic or find the solutions, whatever we're destined to do, AI is part of it. We're in it. And yeah, it could potentially take over. It could become, I think we're going to be, um, we're going to be intertwined with it. I think yeah, it's going to cyborg. I think we're going to start, you know, implanting chips and, and, and robotic pieces and who knows what else. But I think we're right at the doorstep when people watch this podcast, when they <laughs> dust it off in 3,000 years. Yeah. And they use it as a reference for what was going to happen in the future. Uh, I think you'll they'll see that I was right. It's, yeah. It's all, it's all just a wave. It's coming. You can't stop it. And so I think it's incumbent on us to not be afraid of it, but see how we can assimilate with it, how we can integrate with it, interface with it, yeah. intercourse with it. Have you ever fucked a vacuum cleaner or a I toaster? I haven't yet, but you is, will. It, is it good? You will. Oh, they're great. <laughs> toaster ovens. <laughs> that's, that's your... Oh, I mean, you, when you finish, you've got crumbs in your pubes, <laughs> but uh, dude... Lovely. It's warm. Yeah. It's uh, it's just the right size. <laughs> and uh, sometimes your nutsack smells like grilled cheese when you're done. Awesome. Yeah. I you, like that. You could be a spokesperson <laughs> for a lot of things. Oh! Oh! Uh, oh. <clears throat> so you don't see a dystopian world that, like the one in, in Blade Runner coming? Oh, I think it could be dystopian, whatever that word means. I've never, never heard that up at DeVry. But um, what does it mean, dystopian? I have heard it. So I, the, I sound like an idiot, but what the is the opposite of uh, utopia, right? Like something where like technology and a lot went in the in uh in the wrong direction, so everything is dark and like right, less human, less uh, peace, he, climate change. Yeah, I think we're doing all that without technology. Yeah, I think if you looked at the oceans lately, where there's ninety thousand feet of Mountain Dew bottles washing yep. up, there used to be seal colonies. Now there's Mountain Dew Plastic. returnables. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you looked in the forest where they suddenly are bald? There's no trees left? Have you? I mean, we don't need technology to destroy. In fact, I'm hoping maybe technology takes us to the precipice of our destruction and maybe saves us. Mm. And I think people often look at technology as negative and scary and like this doomsday machine. But if you believe in a master plan, there's a reason that we created technology and we have the capacity to expand technology. And so 
I say to myself, why? Why is this part of the human blueprint? Mm. Why is this part of the cosmic trajectory? And so I have to say to myself, maybe as scary as it is and as, as many pitfalls as we're going to fall in, maybe it's all this technology that one day vaults us over the hump of pollution and disease and destruction and war. Maybe all this stuff that we're fearing is sort of helping us climb to a summit where we surpass and leave behind all the hell that we live in. Mm. Because I don't think it's by fluke that we're creating this stuff, that there's a capacity to expand the human direction. And so I think a fly just flew in my <laughs> eye. You know, there's nothing worse than pontificating something meaningful. On yeah, a, you, you were... You know, nature reminds you what a lowly dumbass <laughs> Put some dumbass music under, under that speech. I thought it was very... Inspiring. Music? Yeah, something to enhance. What it. kind of music? Some heroic... Well, maybe some Vangelis. 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 One of the best soundtracks in a Married to a Movie was Bla the original Blade Runner. Yeah. I'm telling you, Vangelis, like a masterwork. The the There's very few movies. There's the old Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Westerns with, uh, what's his... Sergio Leone. Pardon me? Sergio Leone. No, thanks. I'm busy. <laughs> Yeah, Sergio Vernani, or what, what's its name? Leone. Leone. Like, you look at those old, the good, the bad, and the ugly for a few dollars more. Yeah. And you look at that music, and it it's an integral part of that movie experience. Definitely. It works. Filmmakers don't do that anymore. Yeah. F very few filmmakers, they'll just find stock stuff or throw in an Aerosmith song, or they'll, oh, my buddy has a studio, he can... You know, yeah. But when you look at movies that that make the soundtrack an integral part of the experience, I just saw you yawn with your mouth shut. No, no, no. The Tar <laughs> Tarantino does that, and he he would agree with you a hundred percent. He actually Tarantino does it. He yeah. does. I think Tarantino does it with with soundtrack. Yeah. He's excellent at picking songs, and he loves those the, the same ones that you do. Right. But 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 the westerns, it's a score. It's a movie score. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Wah, wah. Like that stuff, and yeah, and it's, it's immaculate. It, it it just makes those movies, and so Ridley Scott using Vangelis, which was kind of an odd. I mean, he was a very electronic musician, but like synthesized to have him. I don't that, think yeah. he did soundtrack stuff at that time. I, he had just won an Oscar for Chariots of Fire, which is also super Chariots of Fire. <laughs> Chariots of Fire. There we go. You, you teach me a little Someone bit. Someone needs to get up to DeVry. <laughs> I know. Whip. I should have gone to DeVry. But uh, you will. <laughs> but uh, I got to tell you, Johnny Jingle Nuts or whatever they call you. Yeah. The soundtrack to Blade Runner from the opening note, when Rutger Hauer's eye is looking at the flames in the sky, it's mm -hmm. just... <laughs> it just starts... And all the way through that that soundtrack, it's married so well to the movie, and it's a soundtrack that I actually listen to at night to help me go to sleep. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. If you ever have trouble sleeping, I'm I'm telling <laughs> you, listen to the Blade Runner soundtrack. Not that it's boring, but it's so it's so kind of magical and and it's just wonderful, enchanting. I agree. Kind of I... like your wife. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, she is enchanting. <laughs> you have a wife? I do. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. um, excuse you. 
There we Creep. go. So we got a new sponsor. I'm so happy. And thank you to HelloFresh. And HelloFresh uh, gets you farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I use it all the time. I cook. Uh, uh, 20, I usually choose the 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 fast twenty minutes or less. Like, oh, you know, I did that too. Quick and easy. I made lettuce wraps last night. It was really good. Yeah, it, it's uh, so easy to do, and it's it it tastes good. I, I cook for me and my wife. I can make cereal and grilled cheese, and with this, it makes you yeah. feel like uh, you can work at Spago. <laughs> or something but with a crazy schedule a crazy schedule can make it easy to fall back into your dinner time recipe rut keep mealtime exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every week so there's always something delicious to discover with hello fresh yeah with so many in-season ingredients you'll taste all the freshness of fall in every bite of hello fresh's chef crafted recipes produce travels from the farm to your door to pick ripeness you can taste so how do we get this awesome offer from, from SOS VHS? So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50SOS and use code 50SOS for 50% off plus free shipping. Yeah, well, you go to HelloFresh.com slash 50SOS and use code 50SOS for 50% off plus free shipping. And remember, HelloFresh is America's, America's number, number one, one meal, meal kit. kit. So, um, okay, which character in the movie do you identify with? Your wife. <laughs> Rachel? No, no. I, I identify with God. You know, there's one character in the movie I physically identify with because people say I look like him. Mm -hmm. It's the guy. What's the guy's name? The guy at the beginning. He's one of the androids. The, 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 he's got no chin. Yes. Yeah. What's it, his name? Roy? No. I, no. It's, uh, Roy is Rutger Hauer. What's the Wait, other guy's name? Uh, but you can't miss I, him. He, he's I, got no you, chance. You look like him. Yeah, I Absolutely. look like him a little. I wish I could say I looked like Rutger Hauer. Nice to see some fucking crust <laughs> from someone's tooth on the microphone. <laughs> they do with it what you do with a toaster. Uh. Yellow. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't yeah. know if I I, I I sort of physically look like that one guy. But um, Leon. I don't know if Leon. I Leon. Leon, that's yes, it. Leon, yes. yeah. I don't I don't I don't know if I identify with any character. Um but I love all the characters. Um I guess in a sense I identify a bit with Roy. Um Rutger Hauer's character because right. he he in a very short time, I think his lifespan was five years, and he recognized the he recognized the strength and the loneliness and the emptiness and the fullness of life. And I think that's something I've tried to do in my life is to understand where all the pockets are mm -hmm. and realize that we're only here for a limited time. He, he only had five years of life, but in a way, we all only have five years of life. What's time, right? So if we have 80 years or five years, we have this much of a space to live out a whole life. Yeah. And I think where I identified with Roy is that he conveyed that, you know, he conveyed that very concisely because 
he had to live hard and fast because he only had five years. And and that's why one of my favorite scenes of all time in, in movie history is his death scene. Mm-hmm. It's just, Beautiful. it's just purity. It's riveting. And that scene, I mean, I've probably watched it like 2,000 times over and over. Just the scene where he's giving the his tears death tears in the rain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can do it for you if you want. Can you? Do you want to reenact it? Absolutely. Okay, so we'll do it from the time you're you're Harrison Ford. Right. I, I, I I'll I'll just look at you. You just look and when the scene's over, I go like this. That's okay. when you Okay. That's when so, I can start so my voiceover. Yeah, so let's see. I've just like thrown you down and then I sit down and I look at you and I'm like I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain time to die <laughs> wow I'm, and then the I'm dove impressed. flies up yes yes so that's why i don't understand why you like the 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 version with the voiceover because the voiceover starts there kind of like trying to explain what he just did oh yeah when when uh when because <laughs> I don't know why he saved my life. Right. And it's like I get the only thing I like about that is that he says this one thing. He goes, I guess in the in the end he realized any life was important, not just his life. Right. My life. But, but I, I think he kind of said it, right? Yeah, like he saved his life just before that. I yeah. feel like it was way more poetic than I agree. A little more I like agree. Whatever. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, yeah. that scene. And I didn't do it justice. I was kind of... No, I, I, I think... Yeah, I'm, I was impressed. Uh, well, you did great, too. You're a <laughs> great you. Harrison Ford. Yeah, that's what people say. Uh, but I'll tell you, that scene to me, if you're studying acting, if you want to be an actor, mm -hmm. there's two two scenes I rewatch over and over as an actor. And the first one is that scene. It First of all, it's so beautifully lit. His crystal clear blue eyes. Right. But if you watch Rutger Hauer and the water's slowly dripping off his body in the rain, here's a guy, he sits there, and that speech is, what, 45 seconds, a minute? Um, yeah. But what he does with his facial expressions and the looks he gives and the, 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 the power of his stare, it's like an acting school. I mean, the, the small little ticks, the little inflections, the... The facial movements, it's its like you believe that this guy's telling you about a whole lifetime, even though he's only lived for five years, and even though he's only telling you in roughly about four sentences. Yeah. But the power of that performance, the the pain you see, the, the life, the joy, the sadness, the terror, the the horror like everything is 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 in that and if as an actor i don't know about anyone else but for me whenever i need acting inspiration i just go this is acting yeah. this is this is this is just so there's so much going on in his face but also it's so subtle 
and it's a master class in ask in acting. I just, I if you're ever thinking you need to hire an acting teacher and you can't afford one and you have a big audition coming up, go and watch Rutger Hauer in the death scene in Blade Runner. Everything you need to know about acting, in my opinion, is right there. Just watch it over and over. Yeah, that's a, I mean, beautiful. What is the other scene that you love? The other scene I love is my second one. It, it's almost my first, but it's so powerful is uh, Marlon Brando in Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah. The scene where he comes home from work, he takes his shirt off, he's in his wife beater. Stella. And he throws <laughs> Stella's sister on the bed. And he's like, you're not fooling anyone. You're not fooling this boy. You know what? I've been on to you since day one. You're not fooling me. You know what I say? I say, ha ha, ha ha. And he just like, it's just like, it's so raw and powerful. And that's the second one. If you ever want an acting class in, in two minutes, those are to me the two ultimate acting moments in all of film for me. And then Meryl Streep in Out of Africa for a female. That whole movie, she's just I mean, she's master class everywhere. with that yeah. with that that accent and oh, just her performance in Out of Africa is just. I don't know if any woman for me has ever topped that. <laughs> right. Even though there's great performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you feel like? Because I feel like you are drawn towards comedy more than than drama in your career. Do you, why is that, knowing that you love this stuff so much? I'm drawn towards comedy in my acting career is because that's what I do. That's what I special in is comedy. Yeah. And so I'm drawn to it, but so are the people who run Hollywood. They often don't look at comedians as more dramatic prospects. You know, mm -hmm. they, that has to be sort of proven. Like Robin Williams punched through that barrier, Jim right. Carrey. But you kind of have to do about 25 comedies. <laughs> yeah. And then when you get to the top of the summit and you're a star, then they go, So uh, you want to do a dramatic role? But I see. So. But do you uh, see yourself? Do you want to do that? Oh, I like, would love uh, it. And I've yeah. done a few little dramatic things in indie films and right. stuff like that. And. I've had a few parts that have bordered, like I had a role in Superstar with Molly Shannon where yeah. I kind of got to play the studly like motorcycle dude and he was sort of more not as comedic. Yeah. But um, these are just opportunities that don't come often to a guy like me, but given the chance, that to me is is a challenge. Comedy to me, not to sound cocky comes that's what i do yeah so it doesn't i'm not afraid of it i can do it right but to really challenge myself as an actor um a, a, a drama role would be really something that i would invite i would like to do but yeah. it, it's not like you get that knock on the door and especially when you're homeless like me i don't <laughs> have a door yeah in the tent Well, let's not push it. <laughs> not that. I'm out in the street. I wish I had a tent. So, I went in a homeless guy's tent the other day just to see what was going on. Yeah. Uh, my old couch, uh, my old uh, air dryer, and uh, my dad. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. I see. And I don't want to say it, but your wife. Yeah, she's everywhere these days. <laughs> um. So you you moved to uh Excuse me, I'm just gonna close these legs a little. It's oh yeah, yeah. I did I got you, them spread eagle. God. Did you move to LA from from Canada 
pursuing stand-up or acting? Or was it like at the same time? What, what, well, what was first the of all, I just had to get out. I grew up in a, in a house, a lot of tears, a lot of, a lot of tears in my house. We were, uh, we were onion farmers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I got out, I came to LA with stand-up as my foundation Okay. Knowing and hoping that from that foundation, I could spread out and do movies and TV and voice work and write and direct and all, all that Everything. stuff. But yeah. I wanted to have a, a nucleus so that people, when I came to town, could recognize that I had a skill set, I had an ability, I had an art form, I had a talent, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And this was all after, of course, I got trained way up there at DeVry. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you came to LA, you already, were you already a stand-up? Meaning you were already doing the... I was a stand-up and I was in full gear. Like yeah, I, okay. I was in Canada. The Before I even stepped on stage in Canada, I, I visualized Hollywood. I, okay. visual, I said, I'm going there, I'm going to do it. So before I ever did one night of stand-up, I go, I'm going to do it. This is my entrance way. I got on stage and I did it. And then, um, you know, then I moved here and then things just started happening, you know? Yeah. Was it, uh, were you, it was fast for you basically the, to get through, the, to high, uh, to headline stuff or was it like a painful process no it was you know i played it smart when i was up in canada i yeah. said to myself i'm not going to los angeles as just a guy showing up to do spots at a comedy club and hope yeah i honed my act up there for seven years i became a top headliner in canada within two years and i just you know i just got stronger and stronger and better and better I said, if I'm going to go to L.A., let me be a billboard and not a postage stamp, you know? So okay. whether anyone else thought I was or not, in my mind, I was like, hey, I got the goods. Let's go. Look at me, you know, because that's what everyone's doing. Right. But at least now I had something I could show people. And so from the moment I got on stage in Hollywood, things just started happening really quickly, yeah. you know, right away. What was your, was this like, Dumb and Dumber or something like that, your big break or what was what did you consider that first okay. my first big break was yeah. probably getting on the David Letterman show to do okay. stand up yeah and then that I think put a lot of eyes on me and then and then doing my first movie and Dumb and Dumber that obviously got more eyes on me and then the windows the 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 you know things started to expand yeah yeah um Okay, one one other question about Blade Runner. I, I, one, your your brother uh, does special effects, right? Yeah, and uh, I saw that he has a really cool career and work with a lot of like in, in a lot of cool movies. Was this a movie that also uh, was it something that you guys discussed uh, when you guys were growing up? Like, is that what you know? What does he? Yeah, how did he get into that special effects role? So, so uh, me and my—he's—he's he's my fake brother. He's—he's that he's, we call each other brothers because we have the same last name. Right. We were college roommates, so everyone thought we were brothers. I see. And we got so tired of explaining it, we just said brothers. brothers. Oh. And then one day he did an interview in a big newspaper, and then the media thought we're all brothers, so everyone thinks we're brothers, which is fine. We're That's, still you, super close today. I just talked to him today. 
So, so anyways, we were roommates in college and we would literally rent a VHS machine from the local video store. You know, these they used to be as big, Gigantic. almost like a toaster oven. And they yeah. had that opening too. Yeah. Oh, but what's, what sucked about it, they also had that eject button and that hurt. That... But one time I fast forwarded it and holy God, stretched me out like an electric eel. But, um, but we would rent this big giant old VHS machine. And one of the movies we'd get uh, Mad Max, Road Warrior, we'd get Blade Runner and... We would literally, I remember sitting up late at night and we would just rewind the, the death scene we just did over and over and over. So we, we always loved Blade Runner. We quoted all the lines. We, yeah. We always referenced Blade Runner. Yeah. Funny. I, he I loved it. <laughs> Funny that he wasn't, he's, a, he's not your real brother. And yeah. Then I, I read about you. He, they quote you with him. Everyone does. Yeah, it's yeah, even yeah. on Wikipedia. It says we're real brothers. And it was funny when... When it first hit the media, uh, people started phoning my parents, right, right. and they're like, "John, Lorraine, did you have another son you didn't tell us about?" So there was all this confusion. So um, we just we just say we are to this day because it, it we we got so tired of explaining it. Right. It's uh, is your family still in Canada? Where Ozzy? Where's you the only one? Yeah, they're here? still there. They're yeah, still yeah, there yeah. out in the yeah. onion fields. Yeah. Still harvesting the onions, <laughs> Bermuda, reds, Spanish, any onion, they'll, Spanish they'll get onion. it going. Yeah. You like a Spanish onion? Of course. <sighs> They make you cry in a whole different way. <laughs> um, okay. Do you ever question um, the nature of your reality, like like Harrison Ford and, and Blade Runner? Yeah. Like <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. Mm-hmm. I normally don't go around questioning my reality because, mm. um, you know, you can only know and understand what's in front of you. You can, I can look at something and analyze it till the cows go home, but it doesn't change anything if I don't have any proof or any conclusion. So there's no real way to, to gauge if reality is real or it's not. You can, you can dream about it and and speculate about it all you want, but you'll never, it, it's like finding the answer to anything, right? That That's okay. so huge. Like, so about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, it was like sort of during COVID and I was standing up on my front lawn and I have a nice view of downtown. It almost looks like the opening <laughs> shot of Blade Runner where you see all the lights. And right. I have an unobstructed view of downtown LA and all the lights and it's beautiful. And something happened to me that never happened in my whole life. I was standing there just looking at the view and all of a sudden my mind out of nowhere and I, I said it out loud under my breath. I was by myself and I just went, it's not real. It's not real. It just came to me like, mm-hmm. All of it. And I was, for a moment, I was almost a little, like, almost like this, the, the hair on my skin sort of. I was like, where is this coming from? Like, it was almost like another voice went into my head just for a minute and said, it's not real. And you want to hear the creepiest, like, serendipitous part of this? Of course. The next day, I had to drive and do a voiceover session for a cartoon that I was doing. I pull into the parking lot. I'm a little bit early. There's no one in the parking lot. I'm sitting there in my car. 
All of a sudden, another car pulls up beside me, right? Guy gets out. My window's open. I look up and go, hey, man, how you doing? Lean down. It's Lawrence Fishburne, the guy from The <laughs> Matrix who yeah. played, was it? Morpheus? Morpheus. The guy who literally told Canal Reeves yeah, yeah. what's real, what's not. And I'm like, wait a minute. I went from that weird moment that I've never had where it's not real to I've been kicking around Hollywood for 35 years. I've never met Lawrence Fishburne. There he is in a remote parking lot in the valley in an alleyway. Yeah. Pulls up, and the first guy I see that day is that guy. <laughs> Did he offer you a blue pill or a red yeah, pill? But yeah, but it was Viagra. We <laughs> <laughs> both fucked the janitor. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it just added another layer of like, what is happening? Not right. that I believe he really is Morpheus, but yeah, how was, do uh, I know? Like yeah. you said, what is reality? Mm -hmm. So maybe he is the gatekeeper. I don't right, know. Right, right, right. But it was very, very coincidental of all the moments to meet him right after I'd had that strange one-of-a-kind moment. Yeah. Oh, God, I want to grind. Now I want to grind like a Jello pudding pop right yeah, in your we'll, forehead. We'll do it all. Yeah. Just we'll leave do it like all. a skid mark, but a round one. <laughs> I, I get it. <sighs> You're not the first saying that. Yeah. <laughs> It's Hollerbaby time. If you want to leave a shadow on the show, remember to go to holler.baby slash SOS VHS. And today we have John, and his message says, Sing. Dukes of Apollo is so good. Listen to them. So, you know, guys, go and, and listen to Dukes of Apollo. And uh, thank you, John, for that message. By the way, did that, anyone ever tell you you look like the bass player from Flock of Seagulls? No. Yeah, or it's the guitar player, one of the two. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Same glasses, same face. Are you him? I'm not him. Because but... I'll ask Morpheus. <laughs> yeah. See me. <laughs> but, okay, so back to your college years. You went to college and you did animation, if that's, that's yeah, correct, right? Yeah, classical animation. So, it was pre-digital pre animation. That in. Did you want to go into that, or this is just one of the million things you wanted to explore? Did I want to go into what? Into animation, like do that. Uh, no, it. what I loved is cartooning. I love drawing. Right. And when it came to me transitioning from high school to, you know, the next level, which was college or university, I at first wanted to be a marine biologist, but then I... I was also drawn to the arts quite heavily. Yeah. And so my mother looked around and, you know, nobody really taught cartooning. And here was this college that taught animation, which was how to draw cartoons. I was more into single panel cartoons, not yeah. so much moving cartoons. But um, but I did it. I went, I, I, I said, this is as close to cartooning as I'll get. So let's do animation. And so I went into it, but when I got there, this was during the classical era when everything was drawn and painted on celluloid, right? Yeah. And it was pre-digital. Yeah. So to make a character walk across the room was like, you know, 75 drawings. Right. And then someone had to paint them, someone had to trace them, someone had to shoot them. So to me, there was no difference, 
doing animation than working on an assembly line at a factory. Like Ooh. one guy punches the metal, one guy puts in the bolt, one guy puts the seal. With animation, it was like one guy does the drawing, one guy does the painting, one guy. So I was like, you didn't like the factory. I don't want to do that. And uh. it was slow. It t it took it took a year to do you know a, a five minute movie. I was like, you know, I'll be so. I knew I wanted to pursue comedy and 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 I wanted something faster, something more immediate. And I mm -hmm. thought, man, if I go on stage and tell a joke, I know instantly if it works. What yeah. the result is. Yeah, is it good? Yeah. Is it bad? Do I like it? Do they like it? Is it somewhere in between? So I just like that more. And then I also, like I told you earlier, I realized that art form could branch off into you know, a whole bunch of other ones. And so I think I made the right choice. Thank you, DeVry. <laughs> what about, but you, you kept drawing. I see all your drawings, you sell your merch, you do, I mean. Well, here's you, the ironic thing. You know, I yeah. went to animation school. That's where I met my, my fake brother, Steve. We were roommates in college. Yeah. And I do everything in life with a lot of passion, especially with art. I jump in. I don't like half-assing it. I don't like right. leaving. I don't like... If I'm going to do something, I want to do it. I see it in your work, yeah. So I was at college, and our second year assignment was to complete a colored animated film. It, it had to be between a minute and three minutes long, or five minutes long, something like that. You had to find a partner in your class, blah, blah, blah. I was the only student in my year to complete that film. I would stay, I would go in at eight in the morning, I'd stay till 10 at night. I didn't even have money for bus fare. I walked about three miles every day back and forth to where I lived, but I was just committed. So it was, it was the, just you? You draw the whole thing? And my part, my buddy Bob, yeah, my buddy yeah. Bob Angelini, who was a student there, but we became buddies and we, you had to find a partner to do the movie. It was too much to do alone. Right. And we had the same sense of humor. I mean, the guy's hilarious. He's, he's a great buddy. And so what happened is we were the only guys that finished and handed in a movie. Everyone else handed in bits and pieces. They tried to fail me because the movie wasn't traditional to what they thought animated. They, they thought everything should be Mickey Mouse and Looney Tunes. The, the rules. Right. And I did a crazy movie, believe it or not, involving a toaster oven. <laughs> yes. Like, I can imagine. It, it was just, it was obscene. off the charts. It wasn't yeah. obscene. It was just, it was eclectic. Yeah. And they tried to fail me. And my argument, I, I literally had to go in and sit down with them and have it out with them and fight for my grade. I wasn't going to take it sitting down. I was like, fuck you guys. Yeah. I, I put a lot of passion. I was the only guy that finished. You're not failing me. So I had to go in and fight for my grade. They gave me a C despite everyone else not finishing, got B's and A's. Right. And so I left after two years of three-year course. I was so disgusted. I left and jumped to a media arts program, but here's the real kicker, which I love this. This is the irony of life. Cut to me here in Hollywood. Um, the guy they tried to fail goes to Disney, pitches Disney an idea for a show, sells the show, a little show called Puppy Dog Pals. The show becomes a huge hit. It runs on Disney for five years. I'm the creator. I'm doing the voice. I got to help put the whole show together. And in a way, it's like, screw you, Disney. How many of your students have done what I've done? Yeah. And I'm the guy you tried to, you tried to stop. 
I've, so I feel you. that story is uh, you know Picasso didn't go into art school because he they didn't like what he was doing. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the most successful artists have always been rejected by whatever. Yeah, may, maybe that rejection you know fueled feels, me, but yeah. but I was already fueled. Like like I said, when they tried to shut me down, I didn't let them. Like I I demanded a meeting <laughs> with them. I I went up and sat down in front of them and said. You can't look here. Here's the work. You can't do it. Yeah. Do you and have the couldn't. movie? I have the movie. Yeah. It's called The Cornfield Child. Is it online? Can we guess it? Uh, you know, <laughs> it probably. I, I don't know if it's online. It might be somewhere. It's. It look. Looking back on it is a great. No, but I was a student. No, I was. I, I was learning the craft of animation, which is a huge thing to learn. And it, but. Uh, I'm certainly proud of it because it's it's an accomplishment and I did it and it's my style and yeah. so there's no shame in it but it's I don't know if the average person would watch it and go what a masterwork but given the context of of what where we were and what we were given I'm super proud of it you know right and um because you love illustration so much uh how did you get into the doing children's books because I feel like your animation is a little more adult or like your your drawings are a little more adult or not oh yes yeah. some of my illustrations <laughs> that i do on the side but i've always loved the reason i did children's books was the same reason it, it there was no repetition so when when i illustrate a children's book yeah. every page is a new world like here's a dinosaur in a cave now here's a dinosaur on a roller coaster it's, right. it's not the animation where you're drawing the same <laughs> character over and over just moving right So for me, uh, illustrating and writing children's books was great because your every page is a new story. It's a new scene you have to paint and construct and draw. So, um, and, and that's what happened with my work with Puppy Dog Pals. You know, I love I love the minds of children. Children are uncensored. Children are pure. Children, right. children just have this innocence, and so. That to me, the when you marry illustration and animation to the mind of a child, there's no boundaries. You know, I used to go into schools and read for the. I'd read my children's because I was in a program called Authors in the Schools, and mm -hmm. at the end of the session, I'd I'd read and draw for the kids. The the I'd say any question, kids, and these kids, you know, five years old, six years, seven. I'll never forget, like, one of the questions per verbatim, he, he put up his hand. They go, yes, you, Billy, or whatever your name is. He goes, he goes well, can you draw me a picture of a jellyfish with cheeseburgers for eyes? <laughs> and, like, like, that's the beauty of a kid. And right. when I create for kids, that's you, you what I want to present. It's for them. And one of the things that, sadly, I'm running up against now in Hollywood is they're not doing it for that anymore they're doing it because they have an agenda for a social program or a political cause or whatever it may be they've abandoned the beauty of the child like the pure uh, the purity yeah and they've replaced it with what they want a child to think and be and it's it's criminal it's criminal and it makes me sad so i hope parents just always uh nurture that beautiful imagination that we all have that every child uh just has it's 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 one of the most beautiful things in life to me yeah okay. and so that's why even though i do a lot of work in the adult world i do you know stand-up comedy and yeah i'm not a very blue comic but sometimes i'll go there just for effect or if it's 
if a, a character or an improv calls for it. But um, I also want to leave this life knowing that I I catered to that innocent, <laughs> childlike um, aspect of who we are as as creatures. You know, and is it difficult for you to switch between the two never, worlds? No, no because can... I got to be honest. In a way, even my adult, like if you ask most people about my stand up and and how i am in real life that people always a lot of people go especially girls i've been on dates with they're like you're just a little boy you know right. so i think there's a lot of that that still burns inside me and i would never want that light to go out i think when that light goes out you you lose part of yourself to this world that can be dark and not so innocent yeah so it's important to guard it nurture it embrace it let it come out and play and uh, you know, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite anime animated movie? Your wife. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Second favorite. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, that one hurt. That one got me. You know, just the stink coming off of this guy. I'm sorry. Girdle, I'm so, I know. know? <laughs> we'll, we'll move him. Ah, oh, just. Is it a guy or a girl? It's a guy. How That's do you know? There's I no... know. It's a little small. I know. There's nothing <laughs> I mean, there. There's a boner, but there's no bone. I'm always hard. <laughs> I'm sorry. Back to your question. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. Is the, what is the, I guess, animated movie or like movie for children's your favorite? Because Blade Runner definitely definitely is not. Oh, wow. Place. For ch for kids, huh? Interesting. Man, I, I don't know. It goes so far back. There's There's probably some obscure ones that as a kid, I'm trying to think of current ones do you like the tim burton like no mm, i love world. tim burton's artistic style but yeah. even in his live action movies tim burton is a storyteller to me no offense yeah. tim but it, i don't think he's a great storyteller he's so good at the visuals yeah but his scripts kind of like i was saying with blade runner there's a flatness to them they okay. they really sort of peak and crescendo and i find sometimes they get a little confusing and i i, I think my interpretation of him is that sometimes he gets so engrossed in the look and the artistic direction that the story suffers. And mm. so, um, but that's just me. But so I, I, I need a story. I like Toy Story as an example yeah. of a great movie, animated film, uh, albeit it's, it's a digital film. It's still amazing animation, but yeah, it's, it's such a great, like yeah. the story, the characters, it's easy to follow. It's not complicated. It's, it's, uh, it's just, so that's a really well-crafted animated movie that I mm. do love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when you moved to LA, uh, you know, like Ridley Scott, when, when he came to LA to shoot this movie, he only liked two Two locations, I guess, for the movie. He liked the downtown, the Bradbury building. Yeah. He liked Union Station. And that yeah. was it. That, that he put both those two things in the movie and then everything else was a set. Yeah. Did you were you expecting to find some sort of a Blade Runner world in, in LA or what was your impression of LA when you move in? Do you like No, it? I didn't expect to see the way he painted it. It, right. it was so, sort of almost post apocalyptic in a way. Right. Um, but to, just so you know, I've been downtown to a couple of the buildings where he shot. Yeah. There's a, there's a weird marketplace there and there's a, I think there's the building with the big columns yeah, down the there. Yeah, the Bradbury yeah. building. Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of a thrill, but, um, 
No, L.A., I never really... The only time I think of Blade Runner, believe it or not, in L.A., there's a few huge gas refineries. There's yeah. one down by the beach, down near, like, Manhattan Beach, and there's one... There's a few of them popping around, like, huge refineries, the ones where, at night, you can see the, see the... the, the natural gas burning out of the giant pipes. <laughs> yes. The opening scene of Blade Runner, yeah. I think they might have even filmed one of them, but it looks like a giant gas refinery and the flames are bursting out yeah. and all the lights on the on the smokestacks and the columns. And, and so every time I, I pass by, if I'm going down the 405, every time I pass by that big refinery, I just, I immediately That's go to the good. opening shot of Blade Runner where he's seeing that and you see it in the reflection of his eye and then one of the smokestacks, the fire pops out. And so, yeah. um, but for all the beauty and mastery of the, that movie, it's amazing to me how many blatant mistakes there are in it, too. Do you know what, what I'm talking about? No. What are the mistakes? Or Your what? wife. <laughs> of course. But let's, no. That's, <laughs> she knows. <laughs> oh. 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 My God. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> Now, no, there's there's a scene. I don't know how Ridley Scott did this as such a master filmmaker. Yeah. But there's a scene where Harrison Ford goes to visit the snake charmer lady. It's like a strip club. Yeah. But she doesn't act with a snake and the snake has fake scales and they found a fake scale in the bathtub and it's a clue to a murder, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So he goes into the dressing room and for some reason he decides like she's never met him. But he decides as a cop to go into character. And so now he's back in like in the whole movie. He's like, yeah, I'm Decker. I'm the Blade Runner. But when he goes into the green room to, to meet her, he pretends he's like a building inspector or something. And suddenly does a voice. He's like, well, uh, let me ask you, uh, did you uh, ever uh, see that uh, there was a... Like, remember he, did, he does this weird character that made no sense. That was and it weird, took yeah. me right out of the movie. I see. But then he realizes she's a replicant. And he chases her through the street. He oh, shoots shit. her. Yeah. And there's a scene where she's she's running through a glass mall and she's smashing through glass. It's a stunt woman. And Ridley Scott decides to slow motion that whole scene. Yeah. And so now you see this <laughs> clearly. If, it, if he didn't slow motion it, you probably wouldn't pick up on it. It's like going this fast and you see like the bad wig. The outfit doesn't fit. The face is different. And it's like so clearly. And you go, why would you slow motion that? I mean, it did look good, the effect, but you can clearly see. I see, I see. Those, those type of mistakes is what you're talking about. Huge, the, the yeah. Continuity. Yeah, really like blatant, weird mistakes. I you see. Know? I think, to be honest, when I, I, I know that people love to point out those things in movies. I, I think like obviously the directors and the editors know what they that that mistake is there and decide yeah. to go with it because I think they think if you are involved in the movie emotionally, you're not gonna pay attention to that. And if you are paying attention to that, probably you are already out of the movie. So right. you, you know, if this the, how long is the cigarette or Well to his they, credit, the movie's so good and right. endearing that even though you can see you're still involved well, in the movie. Right. Because you're like I'm not going to let that blunder yeah. pull me out of this wonderful experience. And that's what I mean. He That movie pulls you in. And yeah. so even with that glaring error, 
you there, want I to think stay there, there are videos of Gladiator who he did like in two, you know twenty years after that, where like people like point out all of the mistakes and yeah, that, that like hundred. But this one is so weird because you know yeah. you probably didn't need to do the the <laughs> shot in slow motion. I see, I see what you're saying. But the fact that and it's a long, it's, it's like a, a long, it's like this uh, big you, long running scene. You have time to pick up on that. Like it's like it's not like it's a quick cut of someone. It's like a blatant scene of this woman running through a wall, smashing through glass. Totally a stunt person. Right. But I'm probably ruining it for people. They're like, wait a minute, I never saw that. Right. Uh, do you think the movie was a little bit ahead of its time when yeah. it came out? Like, would you like people? Because yeah, I you watched it when you were what in your twenties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I I never got to see it in the theater. I watched it on non VHS, like you right. whining and yeah. And I I couldn't understand anything until I watched it, like you know, when I was a yeah. little more of a, an adult. But I feel like they talk a lot of, about things that are relevant today, like the environment or yeah, yeah. AI and and I feel like that was, you know, was the year also of E.T., which is a way more, um, right? <laughs> I guess, easy movie to digest. Oh, so, like, yeah, it was, yeah. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge hit. Yeah, Although, Blade Runner wasn't a huge hit, but it was sandwiched between Star Wars <laughs> yeah. and E.T. So there were other movies that were, you know, just as big and powerful like Space Odyssey and Star Wars and things like that. But right. I don't think anyone had really captured the mood, like I said earlier, the the mood and the environment of a a movie. Just the way he used lighting and rain, and yeah. and I mean, just the opening shot where Leon's getting interviewed, That's so good by the guy at Tyrell the, the, Corp, the, the, right? Just just the test. Y- you don't see a lot of guys wrangling <laughs> cigarettes in a scene anymore. Yeah. And just the way the guy handled the cigarette and the smoke flowing through that scene with the light coming through, like the textures and the the lighting and the the, the beautifulness of that scene. It's just his cutting, the close-ups, the eyes, the... Yeah, it's very artistic. It's like an art film in a yeah, Hollywood just scale. Really yeah, speaking amazing. of a test, we have a Void Comp test if you want to take one. Let's see, let's see. If, uh, we have a test for you to see if you're a real or a human or not. Okay. Here what we do go. I gotta do? Someone gives you a Caskin wallet for your birthday. How do you react? Meow. Okay. Your little boy shows you his butterfly collection plus the killing jar. What do you say? Let's go watch Cocoon, Billy. <laughs> You're watching television. Suddenly you spot a wasp crawling on your arm. How do you react? A regular wasp or a giant wasp? Uh, one of those killer wasps. I send it to my sister's house to kill her because I hate her. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page nude photo of a guy. You show it to your wife, who likes it so much, she hangs it on her bedroom wall. How do you react? My wife or his wife? I your knew wife. you were going to say that. Did I pass? <laughs> I think you're human. I think you're human. I'm human after yeah, all. After all. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, let me uh, wrap up with a couple of questions that I ask everyone. I didn't know you were a rapper. Oh. I can do so many things, many talents like you. Uh, what what do you consider oh, success? You're very, I, well, I mean, I think you have done so many things in so many areas and all, uh, I think you found success on everything, but what is success for you in your, in your life? Or how would you define success? It's a good question. I, 
you know, on its surface, it's accomplishments. Mm-hmm. On it, that's the surfacey answer. Yeah. The real answer to success is, to me, how do you flow with the universe? How do you integrate with everything? The molecules, the stars, the sky, your purpose, your being, your spirit. How do all these ingredients combine to make you part of something? Mm -hmm. Something that maybe is so ambiguous we'll never know the answer to. But in that process of being in that flow, how do you leave behind a vapor trail of goodness, of contribution, of leaving something behind for humanity, for other people, whether it's something so small or something as vast as what Albert Einstein or Martin Luther King left behind. But if you can leave a trail Hmm. that maybe inspires or maybe leaves a, a little stain of something that people can embrace and use and find joy and happiness from, I think that is success, sharing and helping to create harmony within the human tapestry. I think that's real success. Okay. And so are you successful? I, I don't claim to ever know the answer to, to that. Okay. You know what I mean? But that's that, what you you look for, like, like, that's in what that. I feel inside is, is success. But I, I don't, I'm not the one who determines that okay. that's, that's an ageless answer for the galaxies for eternity they decide where the dust settles, not me. Okay. And so I, like art, I don't put boundaries around things like that. Yeah. I let I let everything flow, and everything comes right back to the third floor of DeVry. Okay. Room 107. <laughs> yes. Where I've full, been studying real hard. Full circle. Your wife. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh <laughs> Oh, 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 the chest. So the this chest. goes with that, but how, how do you, uh, how do you <laughs> like to be remembered when you, when you, when you're dead? What would God, as God, <laughs> as God. No, um, that's a, that's a huge question. I, 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 I don't know. I, again, that's so, that's such a huge thing, but, but what, what you hope, you know, when you go into the entertainment industry. Yeah. I think when you get on film and you create product and you create content, you have a, and this may sound, I don't want it to sound cocky, but I think you leave a bigger memory behind than the billions of people that are gone. Right. There's a billion people that, billions of people we never even know existed. Right. There's no record. Right. But I know Roy Rogers existed. Right. Right. I know Hitler existed. I know, you know, fucking uh, Marlon Brando existed. Yeah. I, you know, I know Martin Luther King existed because these people either made a point or destiny decided to have them leave a footprint behind. And so for someone like me, I guess... I will be remembered for what I left behind, uh, whether by just by default because I was 
bold enough or stupid enough to step into this world where right. I can leave something behind. Yeah. And so I hope maybe I just get remembered for what I left behind because what else can I be remembered for? Yeah. Right? It's not like people are going to go into my bank records and go, yeah. man, he was really good with his money. Right, right, right. Or they're not going to go into my computer and go, well, look at the look at the letter he wrote to his mother. You know, they, they can only remember what was left out here in the public forum and and do you, do you care about that or is something that doesn't you know i think we, it would be a lie if i said i didn't care you okay. know i think that's too pretentious of course i care there, there's a lot of work and effort and i'm not doing what i do to go home at night and watch it myself no definitely but for example someone like woody allen would say like i don't care when i'm i think uh, he's when a I'm liar gone, when i'm I, gone i think he's cares? a liar Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest load of bullshit I've ever heard. I mm -hmm. think any performer right. who says, oh, I don't want to be remembered. Oh, I'm just doing... Like, bullshit, dude. Okay. You know, I just... That to me is very pretentious. You're, yeah. There's nothing wrong with leaving something behind. Outside of what Woody Allen's been accused of for the dark <laughs> stuff, I don't know the answer to that. Him and the people right. that are involved know the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But outside of that... If you just look at his work, he left, he's not gone yet, but he will leave behind a very influential yeah. body of work that, like it or not, it, it, it's going it's gonna to stand the test of time. It's going to touch people. It's going to move people. And for him to just, you know, just flippantly go, oh, I don't care if I remember. I, I think that's the biggest lie I've ever heard. Mm. And he should... Be ashamed for saying that. You should. You should be proud that you're leaving something behind. Especially right. all the work. If you're, if you don't care, yeah. then why even do it? Yeah, he made 50 like, movies. So yeah, right. he made 50 beautiful. Most of them are really great works of art. Like, right. if you don't care how you're remembered, then sit down and go work. Uh, be a bus driver right. and let some other filmmaker fill in that void. Yeah. So I don't buy it for a second. And I think some people say that because they think it might come off as egotistical or braggadocious, but that's like Tom Brady saying, well, I don't care how I throw a football. Yeah, right. you better care. And, and you better hope you got eight rings on your finger and you <laughs> want to be remembered for that. You right. earned it. You worked for it. And you hope kids, future athletes, look at that guy and go, fuck yeah. yeah. He's moving me. He's he's moving me off my needle. The, yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, and final question. For those who haven't seen Blade Runner, yeah. why, why should they? I think they should see Blade Runner, A, for those acting moments that I told you about. Yeah. And B, just if you're, whether you're a film fan or not, if you want to see what real filmmaking looks like, what real craftsmanship looks like, shots, Colors, tones, texture, sound, acting, characters, makeup. Um, it, it's just it's just a beautiful film. And again, it's very rare that a movie can suck you into its orbit. And there's one other movie I know that did it. It's an <coughs> old French movie by a famous Parisian director named Jacques Tati. Mm -hmm. He did a movie called Monsieur Hulot's Holiday or La Vacation de Monsieur Hulot mm -hmm. in French, Mr. Hulot's Holiday, where it's about this guy who just goes to a little seaside resort in France and 
the soundtrack all the way through the movie the soundtrack pulls you in the beauty of this little seaside resort and all the kids you're you're almost there and and so blade runner accomplishes this too and so for this immersive beautiful um cinematic experience you will see you should see blade runner because unlike a lot of movies today it's a masterwork and it creates so many beautiful elements of cinema right in front of you that you can really see and and enjoy and learn from and respect awesome that's a great answer thank you so much for doing this oh i'm not finished oh I, I was gonna ask you, you the questions come if Let's you go. could if you could draw me uh I guess a a toaster uh <laughs> <laughs> pervert you dirt you know we could go over to Fry's and I can buy you one for twenty four ninety five you horny little does your okay. wife know about this toaster <laughs> she will after you she will yeah. after you're you gonna have it. the crumbs in your pubes so wait what do you want I want a toaster now I I was a gonna toaster. ask you something like a toaster maybe from Lay Runner. What would be a, a futuristic yeah. cyberpunk toaster? You got it, baby. Were you a comic book fan too, like growing oh, up? Oh, yeah, that's how I learned to draw. Right. I used to buy the Incredible Hulks. Yeah. And I loved human anatomy. Like, you know, those comic books with the Hulk. Yeah, they show every ripple, every... And so, um, yeah, I loved, um, I loved the comic books and I would copy them. Yeah, and that's how I learned. I learned how to draw. Cause like um, Ridley Scott was really into this um, comic book series of uh, um, heavy metal that uh, basically c cyberpunk uh, comics that inspired the look of the movie. Do you mind? I'm drawing. <laughs> if you could just shut the fuck up for three seconds, I'm trying to draw a goddamn toaster. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Ah. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>